Right mate, Scott Riley here from the Causeway Living Podcast. Listen, I'm having to record this introduction here with a Belfast accent because see the rest of this episode, it's going out in the best of Belfast podcast, so it is. I can't be fucking speaking with wee fucking North Down accent in this whole thing, like if it's going out in the best of Belfast, know what I mean? I'm going to have to get a bit of Belfast right in here at the start, like a bit of fucking Harlan and Wolf, mate, know what I mean? <laughs> Bit of fucking all stir fry, mate. <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> Funny thing is, you probably don't know what I mean. Like going on the averages, <laughs> I checked the analytics of this podcast last week, and turns out that more people are listening in from outside of Northern Ireland than local folks. So, uh, if that includes you, and you just got through what was about thirty seconds of a gross exaggeration of a Belfast accent, then fair play. And uh, don't worry, from here on out, it's just my regular sultry tones and my rather posh North Down accent. Would you believe that uh, in Northern Ireland, the way I speak would be considered rather posh? I come from an area called North Down, and uh, the way I'm speaking in this moment is a bit of an exaggeration, similar to how I started the delivery of this podcast as an exaggeration of somebody from Belfast. Well, this is the exaggeration of someone from North Down, actually. (laughs) uh, Yeah, now that I've taken the piss out of my own accent, uh, if you got all triggered at the start of this episode because I was making fun of your accent and you're from Belfast, then chill. I like people from Belfast. I was in Belfast recording an episode of the best of Belfast and hell I'm your champion I'm the first person who's been on the best of Belfast podcast three times don't you know <laughs> if you didn't know you'll soon you soon will do because like I said right at the start of this podcast this is also going out on the best of Belfast Matt and I recorded what is about to follow a few weeks ago and if you've listened to earlier episodes of the Causeway Living podcast You'll have already heard me explain this a little bit. Matt invited me in to do an episode of the Best of Belfast that he felt would be really beneficial to his listeners. A winter survival guide, so practical tips and tricks to get through a season where a lot of people struggle because last daylight and the weather is more challenging to get outdoors and be active, or at least that's the perception. And I think Matt wanted to have me in to like challenge some of those ideas and just give people some practical tools and tips to survive the winter. Matt and Scott's Winter Survival Guide. However, <laughs> even though a couple of years ago this would absolutely have been my thing and I would have loved to have like gone into vitamin D supplementation and the benefits of cold water immersion and the fact that the sea temperature is getting cooler here and the increased benefit out of that and all that good stuff, which is still completely valid and really awesome. The podcast took a quick left turn from the get-go. Instead of thinking of it as a winter survival guide, my thoughts were like, I don't really want to go into this thinking of winter as this shitty season that you have to try and survive through. I want to come at it as a time of the year when you can potentially thrive and not to necessarily see yourself as this thing separate from nature moving through a season, but as a part of nature 
stepping into this time of the year where it's natural to slow down and get real cozy and uh, yeah we go into it in a rather different way than was perhaps intended and from there down all these different rabbit holes like the nature of the self and consciousness and the all and ultimately decided that instead of Matt and Scott's winter survival guide it was essentially just an esoteric ramble that touched on all these big topics and strange subjects like old world religions and if that sounds like your jam then you're gonna enjoy (laughs) the next two hours of podcasting that's right this is the longest ever causeway living podcast which isn't saying too much considering there's only like six episodes but it's also the longest ever best of belfast podcast and there's a hell of a lot more of those so uh enjoy if you enjoy this podcast you're in luck because there's more of these coming matt and i already have plans to record more podcasts that we're going to share on the Causeway Living podcast, but also on the Best of Belfast. And I feel like it's just going to keep getting better and better, considering this was not necessarily planned, (laughs) that it was going to go quite far, like left field. Um, Now we're going to be even more primed to get into some of these weird subjects in future, and I'm just really looking forward to it. And looking forward to hearing what you think about it. So as usual, get back in touch after this episode and let me know what you think. If you really enjoy it, go follow the Best of Belfast podcast. Matt's a super awesome, interesting guy. Very funny as well and entertaining. And he's going to cover a lot more subjects and a lot of different subjects than you would never normally get in the Causeway Living podcast. So you can enjoy a broader spectrum of interesting subjects by also subscribing to my good friend Matt. And you'll also get a little bit of Matt in your life just by listening to the Causeway Living podcast. Like I said, more of these coming up with Matt, more solo casts in the future, including next week. But until then, enjoy the next couple of hours of esoteric rambling with me scott riley and my good friend matt thompson uh actually i should do the proper thing what did you have for breakfast Uh, i think the same answer as last time (laughs) intermittent fasting (laughs) 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 probably like actually only just back into the way recently of doing that since going out and doing these morning walks and Mm. actually makes it really easy because i'll go out and spend a couple hours in the morning and then by the time i'm like back in and settled and about to like do anything it's like food time anyway so Mm. that's it you gotta like fasting like even in like, I grew up in like a pretty religious environment and something that they would always say that actually has a lot of merit is like fasting should always, you should always replace your time that you would have spent eating with something else. Mm. And obviously in like a monastic tradition, it would have been like prayer or like reading the scriptures or whatever. And, uh, but I think like the importance of like replacing is really, really important because if you have just a vacuum, then you're kind of just going to get sucked into the black hole. Do you know what I mean? It's like you need something to replace that kind of energy or space. 
maybe sometimes that's what you want because like I did a um so the first time I ever did like an extended fast was only a two day yeah but it wasn't just a fast from food it was a fast from like any input so no digital no books no anything wow so I just had like 48 hours to like sit with no food yeah, yeah I allowed yeah. myself water um and that was it wow and it was really fucking hard <laughs> yeah that is tough like i've done silent retreats but i've had like loads of books and stuff with me mm-hmm. you know what i mean so like to go kind of like no input is very interesting that was the idea it was like no input like let's just see yeah <laughs> so i remember hard. like listening to a lecturer what was he specialized in like medieval literature or something <clears throat> and he like put forward a theory that there's a part of our brains that's underdeveloped because of the lack of time we have with no input. Mm. And he pushed that as far to say that one of the reasons he believes there was a seemingly higher proportion of like visions and spiritual experiences and spiritual encounters was because literally like these shepherds would be out there for months at a time with no input. And I thought that was a very interesting kind of like way to come at it you think about like a sensory deprivation tank like that there's something to that because i mean you can have a visionary experience by taking all your input away for like 90 minutes mm. <laughs> so like maybe there's something to extended period of time where your input's limited to like there's a sheep <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same sheep that i've seen like 50 times today yeah yeah mental i, I watched something recently goodness what was it it's in another language and it followed like the story of like, a, it was a real life documentary and it was this like Alpine shepherd that literally lived up the Alps with like 500 sheep for like three months out of the year. And it was just him. Damn. And he had like one little backpack and like a good coat and he just slept rough every night. Wow. He had like four dogs with him. I was like, who does that? But like so many people used to, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day. And, you know, there's communities around the world that, that still live like that. But if I think about like, sleeping outside in my back garden i'm like if i don't have my like thermal uh sleeping bag and like reflective camping mat it's like i'll be straight in do you know what i mean yeah and you're right like on the bigger picture like what does that do to like the greater consciousness or something if there's fewer people doing that and then like what's the ripple effect like if consciousness is contracted in that way Mm. who knows it's uh hard to say but Maybe we all need just a bit less input. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, the, the low-hanging fruit is, I think everyone would agree that on the whole, we are much less spiritual in the West than we ever have, regardless of whatever religion you kind of subscribe to. I remember even like hearing and like talking to people that lived in India. And my kind of impression was that they just seemed to have Again, like a spiritual eye that just seemed to be more commonly open than anyone else that I had met kind of in in the wild in the West. I don't know. I feel like that maybe where I could see that being the case is like the average person would be more open to spirituality, whereas Mm, like the average person here wouldn't be. And yet in the West and the East, you would have very spiritual people but probably like your average joe yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> your postman say yeah he's yeah. gonna understand his dharma better than <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeff posting in the you know belfast but <laughs> exactly yeah exactly man hmm. 
Well, cool. Welcome back. Welcome to the, the show again. Cool. Yeah, it's awesome. And as you were saying, just as we entered in the door, first third timer. Yeah, it's the first <laughs> time. It's the first third timer. It's really exciting. And no better man to do it. And yeah, just for you, those of you who've just jumped in, I guess our kind of conversation today is a bit different than what it normally is. And it just came off the back of just a feeling that I'm sure a lot of other people have had where the nights have been getting darker sooner. The mornings have been darker. There's that nip in the air. And I know for me, there was that kind of like moment of panic where I was like, oh my goodness, winter is upon us once again. And I always have like amnesia. I'm always like, I live like, you know, in the bliss and the high of summer. <laughs> and I always forget that like, oh yeah, there's like a slightly different way of coping and living that makes me feel good in the winter in comparison to the summer months. So uh, it just so happened that we had a, a run and a sea swim in the diary. And I thought, look, it'd be awesome to kind of do a little Matt and Scott's winter survival guide. And uh, we're going to keep it very, very loose, going to keep it very casual and just share and kind of have a bit of a, a conversation around the things that keep us feeling good and our best, uh, even during these kind of winter times. So as always, you come at things from a very <laughs> unique perspective. So I'd love just to hear uh, even your approach to that concept and how you kind of already flipped it on its head. Yeah, it was really interesting whenever we talked about it and you kind of like left me with it. And that's maybe the sort of theme of the thing that we talk about. And rather than feeling like a survival guide, I kind of felt like, well, rather than like survive, I wonder maybe if we looked at how to thrive mm. and instead of looking at like, oh, there's this shit season coming up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what are the things that I'm excited about, about yeah. winter? And, you know, like our place in that and not just seeing this as like I am this thing separate from winter that I'm going into, but like I am a part of the all going into this uh, time of slowing down and mm. maybe even like a bit of hibernation. And it's like a really essential part before the whole renewal, rebirth, spring and um, what probably most people are like more excited by, but like this is a part of it too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. And I don't know if I'll include the bit at the start about uh, some of our ramblings, but there is something to be said about like embracing the seasons of life. And I think maybe a unhelpful pattern that I've fallen into in kind of previous winters is trying to live an eternal summer <laughs> which just is not possible <laughs> for, for like loads and loads of different reasons you know and actually there's a level of acceptance with a new season and an opposite season that, that you've said that I think is really helpful yeah I feel like as we get more removed from nature there's like a one mode of being that's just mm -hmm. like consistent all the way through the year and you can even see that like in ways that you might necessarily perceive straight away. So even like in what we eat, you know, it would have had to have been seasonal in the past, but now like you can go into Tesco and get like summer fruits. Strawberries every morning. You're like, bro, like in like in Ireland, like a hundred years ago, I would get strawberries like three weeks out of the year. Right. So it's even things like that. I mean, it might be a stretch to like, 
necessarily really consciously say, okay, no more strawberries, right? That's just fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there might be something to that, like in general, trying to eat more seasonally. The fact that like we're coming to this time of year where there is a bit of slowing down and you know, uh, if you eat a few more like hearty root vegetables and starchy carbs and you're not like out like on the running track first thing every morning, like that's okay. Mm. You know, there's a, I think as well with social media, there's like an expectation of like, I got to be on it all the time. Always on all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if there's ever going to be a time where you're wanting to slow down and take things a little bit easier and maybe use it as an opportunity for some of the other things we'll probably talk about in the podcast. Like mm-hmm. this is it rather than all outwards and like this exuberant energy, like maybe looking inwards a bit, which, um, yeah, I feel like is only going to set you up better for that other side of life. Yeah. Yeah. I think like before we go any further, I'd like to kind of throw people a bone as well. And just like, and an acceptance that society as a whole is not really set up to make this easy for people mm. because, you know, most of us are on a Monday to Friday, nine to five, and that's three, six, five, you know, except for your, you know, the weeks off that you get. So unlike other seasons of humanity, let's say, you know, if you go back to like a farmer, which most of us would have been back in the day, you know, wintertime would have been, a much slower season for you, you know, like your crops were in the ground, like you probably maintained your animals. You didn't have the the hyper crazy schedule that farmers have nowadays where, okay, in the wintertime, they still are, they're probably even working even more. And I think naturally then you could have worked less. There would have been more time to spend with family. I think, now this is not based on any science, you know, this is probably where like sitting around the fire with your family would have kind of been more of a priority or having you know, stouts around, you know, with your mates around the hearth. Like, I think a lot of that storytelling tradition in Ireland probably really thrived in the wintertime because there was just less things to do in the, you know, kind of the the pre-industrialized world. So to kind of throw that out there to people, it's like there are challenges that we face as modern people that often go against our natural um, brains and bodies. Like some of my favorite sort of stuff out there in terms of content talks around the fact that we had these ancient brains and these ancient bodies that were developed over thousands or over millions of years basically to a hunter-gatherer lifestyle and now in the space of 100 years we've gone from that to on social media on a computer sitting down at your desk all day in a corporate quote-unquote American environment even if you're sitting in Northern Ireland and how vastly different that is to what our bodies were actually designed to do. So maybe it's a bit of a pessimistic place to start, but just to give people the, the permission that it's also hard, you know, and, and you're going against the flow a little bit here, but there are still lots of things that we can do to, to kind of lean into that season, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I think that's a really good reflection. It's like society is a square hole and we're like circular pegs <laughs> and it's just like oh yeah <laughs> this doesn't yeah. really fit very well like yeah. what our hardware does not like fit into you know what the programming is of like modern society we're not geared to be like staring at these little glowing screens all the time and 
um, some very clever people have like figured out how to like hijack our attention and make mm -hmm. money out of it. And again, that's like not to go into like some big mad conspiracy theory, but like it's pretty, uh, it's not a stretch in any sense at all. You know, it's quite straightforward, really. Like people will make a product, you know, a social media uh, platform that is really engaging and they want to keep the attention on their platform and they can make more money from the more attention that's on the platform. And then there's an incentive to make it as addictive as possible. So while it might be all well and good to talk about the ideas of like, oh, let's slow down mm -hmm. and all the rest of it, you know, we're, it is going against the current, like you're, <laughs> there's people who that does not serve the best interest of and yeah. they will actively be trying to make sure that you don't slow down keep you on social media it. it's it's a strange world where people profit when you're not healthy mm. you know and you could look at kind of models of like you know tobacco and alcohol industry sort of i say back in the day even though they are obviously alive and well today but that sort of idea that like the profit margins go up the more people become addicted. Mm. It's just across almost anything you can imagine, from the food that we eat to the way we spend our time to the forms of entertainment we engage in. It's strange how it's that kind of weird upside-down business model, you know? And to go against that, again, it takes, a, it, it, it takes something, like it takes courage and it takes discipline and really thinking outside the box just to go back to a, a place of kind of balance that we would have probably more naturally had in other parts of kind of human history, you know? Yeah, it makes me feel like to have these kind of discussions and to be talking about this sort of thing is more important than ever. And to even like subvert the whole like social media is like drawing you into um, like, I don't know, a, like all go consumer type of attitude you know, if you can put out a message through those platforms to people, and like myself included very often, you know, it gets like absolutely sucked into these addictive things. Like there's a there's one or two or many voices saying, hey, you know, you don't have to be on this thing. Like go outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really hard. And like it's, it's, a, it's a difficulty that I just actually completely just push the ejector button on. And I actually have I have the utmost respect for you as someone who's still on those platforms. Um, but I just didn't have the, I don't know, the tenacity to be a part of that world and not get sucked into it. You know, so I, for me, the best decision was for me to leave entirely. Like I haven't been on social media for, I don't know, is it two years? Is it three years? Uh, I don't own any account. But in a weird way, it's like, you also want other people to be on it, encouraging people to get off it. <laughs> or, you know, not to come off entirely, but just yeah. to have, you know, a better rhythms with it. And so it's weird because it's kind of like, it's like a bartender who uh, is like teetotal. <laughs> or it's like, it's like going to reach kids like down dark alleyways where the drug dealers are. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it's not where you yourself want to be. It's not even a safe place for you to be, but there is almost like, there is a need for people to go into those dark places, uh, even in the online world, you know? Yeah, I feel like there's really something to this. Like, um, to I feel like some of the oldest traditions in the world and, like, religions 
uh, like have the greatest hold the greatest wisdom because it's been around for the longest time and you look at like even in Christianity like Jesus would have gone to like being amongst like the lowest of the low people mm. and like being in the dark places to reach out to like the people who find themselves there so you know like I feel personally for me to go on a, a healing journey where my wounds are not as like touched or poked by going into dark places allows me to go into those places and not be affected to the same extent. Absolutely. And, and maybe to like be an encouragement to other people there. Because, you know, a, a dark place that exists today is the mind of the 14 year old at 2 a.m. on TikTok. Mm. You know, and that's crazy, you know, because. Again, it used to be more physical spaces that people were at risk, but now people are at risk in their bedroom. And it's not just the 13-year-olds, you know, it's the 33-year-olds as well. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> are you 33? 34, just. Okay, okay, okay. I was like, well, I, I struck bulls out there accidentally. Uh, yeah, uh, 4th of September, if anyone wants to remember for next year. Hey, that's my nice. sister's birthday. Easy peasy, bro. There you go. I've just clumped you together. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> clumped. Hashtag clumped. <laughs> for social media. <laughs> Um, but no like actually it's been a really interesting journey for me like I only recently probably about a month ago maybe even less started being more active on social media Mm. I had over the last five years become really identified with my business and what I was putting out there on social media totally and I feel like I got lost a little bit in the story of who I was and not who I really am (laughs) But bro, like, again, like, I keep coming back to this. People are going to be like, shut up. Like, at what other point in history did you have to curate such a specific image of yourself? And how do you not identify with that? Mm -hmm. Because it is, it's part of you, you know? It's weird. I feel like, I feel like it is a really human thing. And who's to say, but I would imagine this has been around in some form forever. Like, there's always been, like, I'm... Methuselah from Israel (laughs) (laughs) like I've got two kids and you know you have your little story yeah yeah. but like social media really like and then you can see it even like in how ingrained people get in like ideas and like this is my idea and this is my identity and like really hold on and fight people based on like some idea as if Mm. it's a direct attack on them it's very powerful what you've just said there's an over identification with our actions Mm rather than who we actually are. And people are more than ever, if you attack their identity, like let's just say if I go after someone on the carnivore diet, which is a meat-only diet, or on the other hand, if I go after someone on a vegan diet, Mm -hmm. it's like I've killed their children. (laughs) (laughs) You know, versus like, okay, you, you disagree with what I think is the healthiest way to eat for my specific body. That's fine, no problem. Do you know what I mean? But it's strange. And I don't make light of that because I'm the same if you just push my buttons in the right way. Yeah, 100%. Like this idea of who you really are is a big question. And that's actually part of this whole journey where I've been looking at my story and what I identify with. And like I said, I'm only maybe like three or four weeks really more active on social media. Like about a year or so ago, maybe a bit more I created more of like a split. So I was posting from like 
the business's point of view um, rather than like a personal point of view. Do you use words like we and are? So I had been for that period of time when I actually I don't even know necessarily. I don't think I was putting it into like a plural, but I was saying more like Causeway Living is. Okay, and, yeah. Um, just not writing it from a per- first person point of view. And it was really healthy for me, you know, because like I got to like take a step back from uh, what I was doing. And part of this journey was in that period of time starting to write a book about my story. Nice one. And within that, <laughs> we talked a little bit about this on the, the round and the swim we did the other day. But uh, I had this idea of like, oh, this perfect little story that I could identify with. (laughs) Man gets sick, recovers his health, goes on to help other people. Bada bing, bada boom. It's it's just like Pocahontas. It's just like Cinderella. (laughs) It's just like the Disney version of Scott's life. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's not Disney. (laughs) You know, it's like some real shit where the story that I'd planned um, and the ending that I'd planned as I was writing and living the experience just like wasn't coming together (laughs) and I was suffering as a result. And I think there's a huge thing in that as well, like where your story, so your narrative world doesn't align with the objective world and this like incongruence between the version of the world you see in your head, like it should be like this and then it shows up differently there's like a lot of suffering in that compared to someone who can be okay with what is mm. now. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was a, it was a big exploration into that for me. Like I have this story, the story isn't actually panning out exactly how I see it from my limited ego persona self. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like it made me question, well, then who am I? Yeah. If not my story, who am I? If not Scott, the guy from Northern Ireland, the guy who got his health back yeah. and all the rest of it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's still a work in, in progress, but I feel like this greater understanding of my sense and a bit more detachment of the story allows me to come back to things like social media, hopefully in a healthier way, less identified with it. And still very aware that, like, you know, they are made to be addictive. So I could easily get sucked back into this thing, yeah, but yeah. hopefully with more awareness to, to see. Yeah, and it's acceptance of you do, you know, because you could be, uh, you know, uh, enlightened guru floating through the, the clouds and have been off, you know, never watched a YouTube video for 10 years. <laughs> and then, like, one afternoon you could just get sucked down a rabbit hole. It's just the nature of these things, you know, and it's not... Uh, not identifying with that like slip up or that failure it's just like holding things a little more loosely i think is better for everybody you know Mm. uh no matter what background you sort of come from so in terms of things that you do that make you feel good you mentioned kind of flipping this kind of on its head and saying what are some of the things that we can really look forward to about winter Mm. and i just finished reading the hugo book Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to us about Huga and uh, we'll have a bit of a riff about this. 
Yeah, I mean, it's this beautiful thing. You'd probably be able to go into it in a lot more detail having just read the book, but um, I believe it's a Danish word and an idea of like this coziness and a feeling that I don't necessarily know if it's like exclusive to wintertime, but um, yeah, it's something that is a lot e more easily found in winter. I would believe, you know, like whenever it's like miserable outside, like rain's coming down, you can sit around the fire. And maybe some of the things like you'd said um, previously, like sitting around the hearth and, you know, like having a drink, if that was the thing back in yeah. the day and sharing a story and um, you're far less likely to feel that same hygge, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, at summer solstice yeah yeah i think like the way that uh the happiness institute thinks about it anyway is that in order for hygge to exist there needs to be chaos mm -hmm. and hygge the feeling you get uh is exaggerated the more like nasty it is outside because it makes you feel more safe so if you think about like you know you're up the Danish mountains and there's like a blizzard outside and it's freezing and like all the lakes are frozen over and you're inside by a fire with like a cup of hot chocolate. It just hits different than if it was <laughs> yeah. like 30 degrees and sunny outside and you're doing the same thing. Do you know what I mean? There's something really, really to that. It's like you could have the most incredible meal in the world set in front of you but unless you'd like gone and worked or something beforehand mm. or like gone and done a big workout before yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. going to be as like delicious yeah we appreciate the fire more because of the cold you know it's that classic like you know it, the sun is better when it rains and all that sort of stuff yeah which is the opportunity that winter provides which is kind of what you were setting us up for at the start the other thing that i think is really powerful about hookah is it's very tradition and ritual orientated and they're really like the book was really kind of focused on the importance of like build like making your own traditions. <laughs> so of course, like we can piggyback off like big ones like Halloween and Christmas and every family, no matter how dysfunctional it looks, has some form of a Christmas tradition, whether it's with biological family or with more of like a friendship family. Uh, and it's good to lean into those things. But I think Hugo, like they are really encouraging you to make random rituals. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, something that a really good friend of mine, Jamie, and his wife, uh, he also married a woman from Germany, great gal called Celine. And we are in kind of like the pattern of having these quarterly feasts. So no reason, no excuse. It's like, think of like a Christmas day style feast and we'll just do it like on a random Sunday night <laughs> once a quarter. And we kind of got on this thing where it's like, it all started actually because you, have you ever been in Lidl and you see like uh, all the frozen geese or frozen ducks? Uh -huh. We looked at them and I, every time I've looked at them, I've kind of been grossed out. I'm like, I've never had goose. I've never had duck. Who makes that? Like, who are all the people that are buying these things and what are they doing them for? So we kind of like had a run and joke about it because, uh, you know, German wives, the Lidl is a very, it's, it's practically religion at this point. Uh and so we just decided, look, that's it. We're going to buy goose and we're going to learn how to cook a goose and we're going to cook it. And we cooked it and it was the best <laughs> feast I've ever had. It was so fun, something totally different. And then it kind of just let us on, okay, we'll do duck next time. And then he was getting his hair cut and his, his barber was like, yeah, yeah, like I, I like to go out hunting. I've got all these pheasants. And then he was like, oh, Matt, he says, should we cook a pheasant? I was like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So it's just become this thing where you, you, you try to make something different every time. Mm. You make it like... For me, the perfect feast is like the Hogwarts table in Harry <laughs> Potter. Like that's sort of the vibe you're going for. Like 
really extravagant. You're eating the leftovers for like the next week and you're getting you're getting together. There's no reason in the world for us to do that. Like there's no excuse. Mm-hmm. There's no there's nothing that like it makes no sense. <clears throat> but it is one of the small little things that has just added so much joy to life. And even having the expectation of that is so, so, so important. And so I guess maybe the first thing that I would kind of throw out there is going into this winter, something that I've been more intentional about is having things to really look forward to and going out of my way to actually like create these huga moments, mm. even if it's completely artificial, even if, you know, th- there's no reason to do it. The activity itself is is the reason, you know, it, like it's the joy and it's it's being with other people. And uh, we've just been intentional about like even like booking a wee weekend away to the place we got married in Donegal and knowing that, you know, the house we always stay in, the fire's going to be on and the ag is going to be on and like enjoying a winter experience of Donegal rather than just, you know, the, the, the summer mm-hmm. one that we always kind of look forward to. That's really cool. And it's interesting like to know that, you know, you might actually already have some things in your life that are kind of like that, but you could choose to lean into it more. Mm, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You know, really rather than feeling like, listen to this podcast and thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this like thing because, you know, I've heard Matt say it or I've heard Scott say it. You know, maybe there's uh, an invitation there to anyone listening to think of like, okay, well, what's the, the cool, cozy thing that like I do and how can I come at it like more intentionally and maybe share it with other people, especially around um, the idea of, I really liked what you were saying about like the more chaos, the more uh, huga. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it could lead us nicely into talking about about sea swimming. Let's go, yeah. Because I, what exactly what it made me think of was like the early days of Dash and Splash, so this running and swimming event and eventually group that I'd set up back in 2017. And the early days of it were like the most magical <laughs> field build uh, experience ever, you know, because sea swimming really wasn't a thing then. Like yeah. it was just not. It was pre-COVID. Oh yeah, well, yeah. pre-COVID. BC, before coronavirus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, whenever like people would go out and get into the sea, two things, like one, you were seen as like being a bit different or eccentric. Yeah. But also... I think people had an idea of it that it was a lot more extreme. And so the chaos factor, even mentally, was like built up mm. in your head. Like, you're mental. You're going out on a Sunday morning <laughs> to like get in the sea. You're like, that's all like big chaos energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and occasionally, like, the water would be choppy and it, it is cold. It's freezing um, yeah. in the wintertime. You get people out running along the coast into the sea and then, like, what everyone loved at the end was the hygge moment back in the cafe. Exactly. Warm drinks. The peppermint tea, scolding <sighs> your esophagus. <laughs> yeah. that, honestly, that's peak happiness for me. Like after picky park swimming, yeah. are we peppermint tea? Like unbelievable. So good. Not in the picky park. We're not in the swans. There's a wee, what's it called? Pebble Dash Beach? Uh, da- Skipping, Skipping Stone? Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pebble I was- Dash. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to call Dash and Splash Beach. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, no, you should just lobby to get a change to that. Let's be real. Well, I had for a long time, like whenever I was posting up about it online, like Skipping Stone Beach slash Dash and Splash Arena. Epic. Epic. <laughs> Especially like in the early, early, early days of Dash and Splash, there's this like 
old disused Victorian swimming pool part. You know where the wall comes out? That was like yeah. an old Victorian Unbelievable. ladies Made pool. Yeah, I didn't know. And like whenever it was like a dozen people turning up, I would just get them in there. Yeah. And uh, whenever I'd be standing up on the wall and uh, getting people in, and it actually did feel like like a little arena, you know? Because yeah. <laughs> people would come around and watch the crazies get into the water. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing. Like, so cold water therapy is kind of like back to the future. Like a lot of these kind of movements and wellness practices that have kind of become hot topics in recent years, even in recent months, they're just old ancient principles and practices that have just kind of had like a, a rebirth because people have been getting in the cold water forever. Yeah. And like, as you said, even in the Victorian times, you know, ladies would have been like well-to-do, probably like hoity-toity ladies would have been getting into the cold water. And like now, like I, like I always feel like embarrassed, like when I go like up to like the North Coast and I think it's, I'm hard as nails because it's Sunday morning and it's October and I'm psyching myself up and I'm running into the sea. And then I look over and there's like these three 80-year-olds, like not even like wincing or anything. And I'm like, what the heck, guys? But, you know, it's 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 a big part of uh, human history as well. And the benefits, they didn't know the neuroscience behind it or anything, but they just knew it made them feel good. Yeah, it's interesting. It maybe comes back to something that we talked about, like square peg, square hole, like we're made for this stuff. So, yeah. you know, you put your life circumstances more into alignment with what we're designed for. You'll generally be a bit happier. Mm. And the probably one of the best ways to like understand this or metaphor is um you know like an animal in the zoo like you know an animal in the zoo gets its food handed to it and all yeah. the rest of it easier life but is it any happier you know definitely not with the way they like get depressed and like pull their hair out and pace back and forward and in some sense it's it's an imperfect analogy but like we are living these like artificial zoo type lives where like food is easily handed to yeah, us yeah, yeah. don't have to forage it don't have to hunt it um like i said it's an imperfect metaphor because we do have to like go out and work and do yeah. different things but even then it becomes like even more like contrived and further removed from our nature and you're so disconnected from how your food is grown or caught or produced or prepared mm. you know like i just was thinking about that pheasant again like mm. if someone slaps a pheasant on my kitchen counter i'm like i have no idea what to do with it like how do i <laughs> how do i depluck it how do i you know i've never done something like that in my life yeah but that was the only way you could have eaten back in the day and i bet you that it tasted better because of the effort that you put into it or if you like raised that animal from birth yeah. you know you literally like you birthed it you know like <laughs> yeah. not you birthed it but like you <laughs> you facilitated the birthing of it you know it, it it's you're so much more connected than if you just go and pick up a wee plastic wrapped thing from tesco you know yeah, it's funny that you say that, actually. And this is, like, a really basic thing on a really, really small level. I remember the first time I, like, bought, like, an actual fish and, like, chopped the head off and, like, mm. gutted it. And that's quite a small, easy thing to do. And yeah. it's like, this tastes way better. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I gave you a random wee metaphor. Like, this is based in the real world. So I can't remember the, the gentleman's name. He's, like, a, a leading orthodontist expert. Orthodontic? I'm not quite sure on the word there. And he basically has, like, put this theory out there that seems to be pretty well supported that the reason why we have wonky teeth is because we don't chew hard things anymore mm. and his basic thing is that you know he's an e evolutionary biologist so he's like 
why would the human body have naturally selected itself to have wonky teeth or wisdom teeth that don't fit in your skull? He's like, from an evolutionary perspective, that makes zero sense. Like, your body would be trying to eliminate that as much as possible. Because, you know, people, like, you can get really sick with your teeth, like mm -hmm. with your wisdom teeth and stuff. So it doesn't make a lot of sense that it would be here. And his big thing is it's because we're not chewing really, really hard like gristly things anymore and it's the the muscles in your jaw actually making your jaw smaller and they're not your jaw's too small to fit your actual teeth and in a weird way it, it was your zoo metaphor that reminded me of that because when we are not doing hard things to our body when our body is not under stress it's actually not operating the way it's supposed to and that's why leaning into artificial things like having a cold shower or my latest uh, purchase, I told you I bought an extra recycling bin for £25, a wee green bin, <laughs> yeah. and I now use it as a cold plunge every morning, change the water once a week. I'm in it literally five minutes in the morning. And like I, I measured it today because I knew we were having this conversation. It was 11 degrees this morning, mm -hmm. naturally, with no ice. And like that's pretty much sea temperature at this time of year. Mm -hmm. So I live in Dromore. I'm nowhere near the sea, but I have that like sea experience in a, in a green plastic tub <laughs> yeah. for five minutes at the start of my day, Monday to Friday, and it, it serves me very, very well. But you feel the stress that you put your body under in that moment, and it's the same with physical exercise. It actually, you feel better because of it. And it's that weird paradox where uh, almost the, the more pain there is in a controlled sense, you know, where you're, you're not out of control, actually the better you feel. And the absence of that quote-unquote suffering actually can lead you to actual suffering and make you feel really bad or make you feel depressed or sluggish or weak or whatever, whatever, whatever. I think as well a really important thing to note, uh, what you made me think about with the, the shape of the jaw changing with what we're eating and everything, like that isn't even the end of it either. Like, I know for that, as an example, it changes the way people breathe as well. Mm. So, like, people tend to become, like, more inclined to become a mouth breather, like, through the wow. shape, change of the shape in their jaw and um, what the effect of mouth breathing over nasal breathing is. Like, I mean, that's a whole podcast in itself. Oh, bro, you've taken me back to, like, I remember I was 15 and it was, like, pr no, maybe 13. It was, like, early days of the internet. Well, for me anyway. Yeah. And I remember like reading like all up on this like Russian scientist who was laying out like the dangers of mouth breathing. And I remember being like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, but Buteco, Buteco breathing, like that's the, yeah, it's unbelievable. And the it's highly suggested that like the inclination to mouth breathe is like very much connected to this like change in the shape of the jaw. And Crazy. So the kind of reason of even bringing that up is that, you just don't know the the knock-on effect of all these things for negative or positive. So, you know, in that instance, you know, we talk about a hard diet change and that changes like the shape of our faces and how we breathe. And then the fact that we're breathing in a less optimal way makes us more inclined for illness. But then to swing that round to look at the positive, like you get into your wheelie bin every morning for five minutes <laughs> <laughs> in the freezing cold. And as a result, you know, you go in and you say something awesome to your wife and, you know, have a good interaction with your kid. And mm. then they reflect that back to you and you just mm -hmm. don't know the knock-on effect. So this is crazy. Like, I feel like we're, we're perfectly in sync now, okay? Mm -hmm. 
because this morning I caught myself. You ever catch yourself doing things? You're like, interesting. <laughs> like I literally just got out of the wheelie bin and I, you know, I was upstairs like putting my lenses in or something, and I was like just singing. And I just caught myself and I was like, <laughs> interesting, like you're in a really good mood and you probably wouldn't be in the singing state so early on if it wasn't for the cold plunge. And the way I like to look at um, my kind of like daily life, like I'm really into the the unit of measurement of a day. And I've been super inspired recently by a lot of the recovery community with like things like Alcoholic Anonymous mm-hmm. and because I was listening to a podcast, as I was telling you about, uh, all about addiction and dopamine, and that's just rocked my world recently. And the, the professor in that, Anna Lemke, she's at Stanford, and she said this really interesting thing where she said she believes that like addicts, like people who've gone through like serious addiction, like drug and alcohol specifically, are kind of like the modern day prophets for our generation mm. that hold the like basically the key that we all need to unlock peace in our everyday lives and one of the big foundational blocks of like Alcoholics Anonymous is this idea of living one day at a time mm. and literally just like seeing your life as a, as it is as a series of days and even in that like you know because they always say one day at a time if you can just get through this day without drinking then the next day and then if you can just get through the next day next thing you know it's six years I was listening to something about sugar addiction and she took it a slight step further where she said you need to take it one choice at a time. Mm. And I found that really, really helpful. And I, I really been thinking about that and meditating that because she says, you know, if you say like, I'm not going to, if you think about the fact that you're never going to have sugar for the rest of your life, it's not going to work because you're going to be like, what about Christmas? What about my birthday? Like, what about this? What about that? What about Percy pigs? I love Percy pigs. Like, da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. But if you literally say like, okay, this mealtime, I just have a choice. I'm going to try to make the decision not to have any sugar. All of a sudden, it just rolls onto itself. And something that's really helped me, even with like managing depression and powering through and overcoming kind of periods of depression, is like taking it one choice at a time. And if we talk about like systems or routines, I now view them like dominoes. Mm. And when I wake up in the morning, my only goal is to get the first domino knocked over. And then after that, then it leads to the second domino. And then if I can get the third domino over, then I know the fourth domino. It's just a series of choices that kind of run onto each other. So something like a cold experience. Um, There's really interesting research paper about like why it seems like cold showers give people a better immune system. And there's there's suggestive kind of evidence that that actually is the case. Mm -hmm. But more interestingly, I thought this particular study showed that people who take cold shower every morning before work, they didn't get sick any less or more than warm shower takers. Mm -hmm. The cold shower just made them feel good enough to actually get out the door to go to work. And I thought that was really powerful. And again, this is kind of really resonate with my current kind of uh, curiosity and and this whole idea of like, you know, one day at a time. I think like so much of life is just getting to the next bit, even on like a minute by minute level. And if there, there are certain things that we can do that really, really help us get to the next stage and by getting to the next stage you're more likely to get to the next bit for me like i I always say like the zero percent is like lying in bed all day and not getting out of bed Mm. 
And so anything above 0% should be aimed for. And certain things like exercise and eating better, they just increase your percentage and your likelihood of, of kind of staying away from that 0% place. Yeah, it's good to set the bar where you can like you can get a win you know <laughs> that's yeah. getting out and also as well you know like if if your initial bar is just like taking a step out of bed and dealing with that in that moment because i really liked where you were going with the one day at a time and it was interesting to observe that it was like one day at a time and then you'd read uh, i believe was it Anna Lemke had said like one choice at a time yeah and then you'd set from minute to minute. Yeah. And really, I mean, if you keep making that progression, <laughs> it's like from second to second. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. it's always now. That's it. It's always now. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> and like the thing I like about that as well is if it's always now, it takes this like story out of life. Mm. You know, it, the thing, the story that could come up you use the example of like the pe- person freaking out about never having Percy pigs again. <laughs> That's a story. Yeah. It <laughs> Cause is. They, there's no yeah. Percy pig sitting here, right? Exactly. Now. Yeah. But like their story is allowing them to like, you know, make the bad decision. Now. Well, say bad decision, a suboptimal decision for their health. Yeah. Um, whereas if you could just be present and like, is there any Percy pigs here? No. Um, <laughs> is it an option? No. So yeah, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. have them. It's I cool. don't need to worry about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Easier said than done. Of course, you know, like yeah. I mean, there's going to be times that like you do get caught up in your head, but that's where I feel like, and this probably brings us quite nicely back to like practices and stuff for um, people coming into the winter time and it becoming a time maybe for like more introspection and going inwards like having a meditative practice is if if i could encourage somebody to do like one thing and one thing only that will improve their life circumstances it's that like take a bit of time to sit in stillness and there's Mm. so many good options to like learn like to to start off and experience that apps like headspace one amazing app called waking up sam harris's app Mm. um any amount of like free meditation things online talking about how like online can be you know somewhere for that you can get something good out of yeah well headspace i had a really amazing experience with headspace Mm. headspace was like my on ramp into the world of like sitting in stillness Mm. which is funny because like at the end of the day it is just sitting in stillness and it's funny it it says a lot about us that we kind of like we look to be coached or trained not that there isn't merit to that i think there's a lot of merit and there's still little kind of uh tools that headspace taught me that i still use Mm. but more often than not now like because i try to spend as little time on a screen as possible i literally just have like a like a like a 10 minute timer and i just use that you know what i mean uh but i think the the important thing to emphasize in all of this is like done is better than perfect yeah. and like a a less optimum meditation routine is far better than like this flawless perfect ascetic amazing <laughs> instagrammable routine that you never ever ever do you know and like taking a cold char is better than uh thinking you're going to do a cold plunge every morning and never doing it or taking a warm shower is far better than uh lying in bed do you know what i mean so it's like it's just even getting getting things started and finding ways to maintain them i think is super important tell me about why you think it's important for to have that that, that like meditative practice 
because I feel like in life, from moment to moment, the more that you can get to the moment and not be caught in your story, the better the quality of life you'll experience because you won't have the suffering of like, oh no, no Percy Pigs. <laughs> keep recalling that. I love how that's been one. an anchor point. Let's, yeah. let's keep that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the person who is truly present with the decision of like, um, with what food there is in front of them doesn't have the suffering of no Percy Pigs. But like that in order to get to the present moment, it's very good to have a practice of being in the present moment. Mm -hmm. Real meditation is <laughs> like throughout the rest of your day, the 10 minutes or hour, whatever it is that you sit there in silence is practice for the rest of the day. Yeah. And, you know, you said about like having a, sh a short practice or done is better than perfect. One minute of meditation a day, one minute of choosing to sit in stillness is infinitely better of no than no yeah. minutes. Yeah. Because whenever it comes to the rest of the day, you know, apart from anything, if you've never sat still, and which could actually probably be most people, you don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, I feel, you know, it's coming back to something that I talked about over the last year or so, just learning more about who I am really has helped me to be more present. Mm -hmm and improve the quality of my life and the quality of my mental health, which is for me at least anyway, like just like an ongoing thing and touches kind of on where the story that I'd mentioned of like the book sort of fell apart a little bit because I had this idea and the story and that wasn't present mm -hmm. and then my life wasn't lining up with it and I was suffering and things were just really messy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like over the last probably 10 months or so in particular, and doing like a lot of, not just meditation, but um, like therapy and therapeutic work um, has helped me become more still. Mm -hmm. And whenever it comes to <clears throat> experiencing like chaotic things, <laughs> you know, like uh, like cold water or the fact that um, it's raining outside or all the rest of it, I'm more capable of holding that in my stillness. There's something, actually, an idea that has been really important to me. Like, the more I expand my stillness, the spaciousness inside of me, which I believe is what really all of us are, like, you're the awareness that things come into. Mm -hmm. The more I can expand that, the more I can observe what's happening and not get lost in it. So with a meditative practice or like therapeutic work, you're, you're really expanding your awareness. And with an expanded awareness, say something enters my awareness that would make me angry or make me sad. If I don't have an expansive inner world, that anger or sadness will fill my whole awareness wow. and I'll just be lost in it. That's crazy. I'll just be furious. Choke you out. Yeah. Basically you'll be lost. You'll be Bro, I never heard it that way before. That's nice. Yeah. So like I mean, it's been a wild year of stuff <laughs> <laughs> coming to come to some realizations like that. I mean how I saw it was um you know like this like almost like a jar of you know and the the jar that I am is one size and you know, you could fill it with 
this amount of sand and that's the anger mm-hmm. and if, like it's a small jar it's going to be overflowing with yeah, anger yeah, yeah. if i create a big jar and pour the same amount of anger in mm. it doesn't take up the same amount of space and that's that can still really cool you're going to absolutely love that book on yourself uh, awareness <laughs> by anthony DeMello. uh and if any one listening is like really kind of like resonating or really curious about what scott's saying you would also really enjoy it uh it's literally just called awareness and he talks about like the importance of just like noticing and not judging mm. like just noticing like uh, something that flares up inside of you maybe it's anger maybe it's lust maybe it's joy mm. and literally not to attach any like label to it or that's good or that's bad just literally and the easiest way I, I kind of got there is just go, hmm, interesting. Yeah. And just move on, you know, like just notice it and then that's it. You just, you move on from it. And I think the more you do that and the more, and this is what stillness allows you to do, you can kind of start to sift through the noises inside your head, the voices inside your head that we all have and be like, which one of them is actually me? Hmm. And which one of them is just kind of like maybe an emotion or which one of them is my Granda, you know, like yeah. like like uh, family members or friends that maybe have made a big impact on your life, or you know, expectations that someone else has put on you, or maybe you know something that your your parents would have like maybe uh, criticized you for when you were younger, and it's that stillness that allows you to start to kind of sift through all that and see just where you're at, and then as you've said, see where you are. And I think the more you do that, the more you notice. I think that's how you grow your jar. Mm. That's how your jar gets larger because you kind of find like a new border. You know, you you, you kind of find the wall and you're like, okay, that's where it is. And whenever you see the wall, it automatically kind of then runs away from you. Man, this is a lot more esoteric than I was expecting (laughs) to be. I'm all for it. A girl I used to date in in high school, I can't remember the name of the band. I'm sure people listening will be able to to tell me. She had this quote that she loved, and it was like, "We all live in a jar, and we think the lid's the sky." Mm. And uh, yeah, it just it just came back in my head, and I think that's it's it's just kind of funny. So up now, I want to kind of like shoehorn in here. This is super like uh, you know JVC sales program on TV. Something that's made a big difference to the darker mornings for me is one of those tacky cheap influencer type sunrise simulation alarm clocks Mm. i'm a believer like i really really subscribe to it someone bought me it as a gift um a previous guest actually uh stephen illardy he's the depression researcher we chatted to last year and he bought it for me and it was like summer when i got it and so I didn't really see any benefit for it. Yeah. And wintertime started coming around. And I was like, I'm having to start using willpower to get up again. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the alarm goes off and it's like, right, okay, let's go. Yeah. And I thought I may as well stick it on just to see. So I did two things. The first one was, and this is big for me, I started to get up later. Mm-hmm. So I like historically, I, like there's seasons of my life when I was starting my business, I would get up at four and I would write for like three hours. I did five o'clock for probably about two years. And then, um, you know, kind of since our daughter came along, I've been kind of hanging around the six o'clock sort of mark. And I just made the decision. We just came back from Germany. So I noticed a big shift in the daylight Mm. because when we we left, whenever it was like uh, August and we came back when it was October, pretty Mm. much. And I noticed a big difference in the mornings in Ireland. And so started using the sunrise simulator 
and it has made a really big difference. And what I do specifically is I have the light come on. It it probably starts, it's about a 30-minute window where it will start off really dim and kind of get brighter and brighter and brighter. So I will set that for like 6 o'clock to 6.30. So its mm-hmm. brightest will be at 6.30. I've turned the alarm function off on that mm-hmm. so that it's just the light. There's no noise. And then I have like a little Casio wristwatch that everyone loves. Uh, and it goes off every single day at like 6.55. Mm-hmm. So it's like my backup, backup, backup. <laughs> if the light doesn't wake me up, the alarm will. And that has been just such a pleasant and easy way to wake up versus what I usually did was have like a blaring alarm in the corner of the room where I would jump out of bed and run and hit it at four and then, you know, go straight away. And also, if you want to learn more about kind of light therapy and stuff, the Steve Ellerly podcast is a good place to go. But I also combine that then with bright light exposure in the morning as well. Mm. I have like a, we call it a sad lamp over here, a little brand called Lumi, and it's maybe 10,000 lux uh, from 30 centimeters. So it's very, very bright. And I'll make sure that I get that kind of within an hour of waking up. And what that does for me is, I know we, we joked earlier about living in the eternal summer, but it, it because most of us don't have the luxury of waking up with the sun mm-hmm. and going to sleep with the sun anymore uh, because of our work schedules and our other commitments, uh, it allows me to kind of artificially simulate that bright light in the morning from the sun uh, And the health benefits of that are unspeakable. You know, it's so good for your circadian rhythm. So good if you are prone to depression. Literally, there are like sensors in the back of your eyeballs. Like your retina is like Mm -hmm. literally part of your brain. And the bright light will stimulate like serotonin production and other kind of feel good well-being chemicals. And the impact that that has, I think, is, is really unspeakable. The reason why I've been getting up later is because I love to go for a walk in the morning with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And the simple fact is if I'm walking at 8.30 instead of 7.30, it's it's lighter and it's a more enjoyable experience. And also the village that I live in, you know, Sleepy Dremore, it's a bit more uh, awake and alive and all the kids are going to school. So you kind of feel more a part of the community rather Mm -hmm. than just like, I literally used to go for walks at like 4.30 in the morning, you know, and you're like, you, you just feel like a, you feel like a loner. Yeah. <laughs> and so even like what it does to you, like that small change of getting up a bit later uh, is, is a really, really beautiful thing. Yeah, I really like that. And again, that's like really coming more into alignment with like what is in this moment, like the you're being more seasonal, like it's yeah. this time of year, you're going with it. And that's it. You know, in the summertime, I actually have no problem getting up at 5.30 or 6 because mm. it, it really works for me. But I made the active decision, this is winter, I'm going to try to sleep more. And yeah. I also go to bed a little bit late or a little bit earlier than I normally do. Because, dur- like, I don't know, during the summertime, I literally need like six hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. And during the winter, I am finding that actually eight hours is more appropriate for me. Mm-hmm. Another positive out of getting to this time of year and sleeping at different times you're far more likely to catch a sunset and a sunrise as well. Ah. You know, like if the sun's rising at like, you know, five or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the summertime. Um, it's a big effort it's a big, it's to an go ask. and do the sunrise sea dip. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. But um, at this time of year, like, I mean, I've 
for maybe like the past week and a half now I've just made a real point of every morning just to catch the sunrise and some days it's like there's nothing but I've been very lucky like a lot of mornings blue sky sunshine and again what you said about um you know getting the light in your eyes like sunrise and sunset so good for mm. your circadian rhythm like, totally so get out and like expose your eyes to that light at those times of the day and know it's not possible for everyone because of their work schedule but um you know if you can get out like around 7 30 or so now and yeah. and get that sunlight into your eyes like, and that's it even if it's 10 minutes exactly you know at the start and end it's so like what that does to your brain is phenomenal from a neuroscience perspective and once again the knock-on effect of that like mm. what what does that 10 minutes do to the rest of your day yeah i'm a huge believer in like everything you do matters <laughs> yeah like yeah, yeah everything that you do matters um one way or the other you know it's going to improve the quality of your day or marginally make it a little bit worse mm -hmm. and taking those few minutes like go outside and god the amount of things you're stacking up as like not just getting the light in your eyes but like the exposure to like fresh air and everything yeah, yeah, yeah. else and usually if you're outside you're moving exactly you know which is everything really yeah you right know, movement is so so important which probably is a, a good thing to mention around the topic of you know things you can do over the winter time and you know we kind of touched on that before the idea that sure you might move less in the winter time you might be going as full david goggins intense <laughs> <laughs> but uh god i hope nobody listening to that goes full david goggins <laughs> <laughs> god, like, what a, yeah anyway <laughs> um but you know, just because you're not doing the ultra marathon at, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. like going for a 30 minute walk, you mm -hmm. know, that's awesome. Um, whatever you do, just it's back to this like done better than perfect thing again. Move your body, and maybe it doesn't have to be so intense, but it doesn't mean do nothing. It's not yeah. like ultra marathon or nothing. It's maybe go for a walk or go for like a lighter jog and. Yep. So I've been, uh, before I got into dopamine, my kind of like previous intellectual rabbit hole was your gut micro microbiome mm. and like the importance of like your gut health whenever it comes to like energy levels and mental health. And really interesting, like I think the guy's called Dr. Stephen Gundry, I would imagine. And he made a really interesting point, again, back to kind of like the hunter-gatherer sort of societies and communities that still exist in the world today. You know, they would naturally walk like between five and 10 miles a day. Mm -hmm. Like if you needed to do anything, you had to walk somewhere. But even simple things like how they would eat their dinner, you know, in like the squat position because they didn't yeah, have yeah. chairs, they didn't have sofas. They would literally spend, you know, hours a day in on their hunkers, as we would say. <laughs> and uh, he showed that like, that movement in itself, like just sitting on your, on, I don't know, I would just call it your hungers, don't know what else to say, in that squat position, actually like stimulates so many of your muscles and stimulate bacteria in your gut that mm. make you feel more energetic and better. Like, isn't that crazy? Like the way that they rest was making them feel more energetic. And it's just show it's it's another kind of like weird, unfair scenario where it's like, you know, our sofas are making us feel more sluggish. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, wow, like even the way that we sit, even the furniture in our houses in some ways is kind of stacked against us. That's like a very tinfoil hat way to look at it. But 
the importance he just kept underscoring of like just moving all the time even small movement like literally walking up and down the stairs like going for a small a small walk uh ritual that or practice that i've started that's actually that has huge significant benefits for my life is after my dinner going for a walk mm. like that's just an automatic thing like when the pl- when the when the fork hits the plate no dishes no nothing like just literally grab the coat and go and if there's we would host a lot of people so like if there's guests just invite them and go out with them you know and that like changes the whole dynamic of my evening because if i don't have that i will literally just like slug and crash like i'll be so tired i want to go to bed at like nine o'clock or eight o'clock like i have no energy there's no and it's not about being productive but there's no like there's no productive energy then Whereas if I go for a walk, I feel fresh. You know, I don't take, take a phone with me. I don't listen to anything. And it's that nice kind of little end point to the day to unwind and, and reflect. So whenever I come back home, I actually can have a lovely evening with my wife or I can have a lovely evening with my guests or I can do a few small things around the house that I need to do. And it's just that one small thing. Like I said earlier, it's that one domino. Yeah. Like I know if I just knock that evening walk domino over, makes a huge difference and funny like just coincidentally I was listening to a podcast yesterday about um, time restricted eating and fasting and they just made the point that like movement after particularly your evening meal is so so good for you it literally clears out like glucose stores in your body and in your Mm. muscles and it allows you to enter into more of like a fasted healing state when you sleep and I was just like whoa that's crazy (laughs) but you know again it's like what did people do back in the day like they probably like were at somebody's house for dinner mm-hmm. and then they would like walk home you yeah. know they would walk over a f- couple of mountains to get back to their house you know or go out and i don't know feed the sheep or something not that sheep need fed <laughs> <laughs> domesticated <laughs> sheep <laughs> no you're absolutely right though again it's one of those things that like the knock-on effects like you don't even know and it's cool that like modern science is catching up to like ancient wisdom yeah, as yeah, well yeah, yeah where like even something as simple as a squat is affecting your gut biome and like that's what just people are made for and people did Mm -hmm. and again back to this thing of like our artificial environment now where like our like we spent all the time in this like up like this seated up position yeah 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 very like squatting is a lot harder for western people also because like even our toilets you know are like sitting and i remember going over to far east asia for the first time and like seeing like the built like builders there just like in a perfect squat like yeah yeah yeah. it's like because they're shitting like that totally and uh, they have to get to that position every day and it's funny like you know my daughter's one and she has perfect squat form Yes, you know, and you don't you love to see that, and it's so strange. Like all the yoga poses that I would know from doing yoga in here with Anna on Wednesdays, like she does them, and we've never taught them to her. And she literally, you know, she's doing downward dog like yeah. for fun, like yeah, she yeah. thinks it's hilarious. She's doing perfect squats, and I remember when I was in Nepal, like we were up pretty high in the Himalayas, like you know, as remote and rural as you can imagine, and there was literally you know, eighty year old woman like flying past us. And like resting in perfect squat positions. And the reality is, as you've said, for them to go to the toilet, let's say three times a day, right? They have to get down in the squat position. So they never lose it. Yeah. You know, and it's just crazy how that's naturally just built into their their culture. Yeah. There's something to that as well. It's like if, you know, use it or lose it. Yeah. And 
it's because your body's actually really, really intelligent and it doesn't want to waste energy and on things that you don't need for survival. It's like, okay, maybe not so much like losing the squat position, but your body optimizes for what you ask of it mm. all the time. So if you're like constantly sitting as we're doing now, yeah. your body becomes like the ultimate sitting machine. Like, oh, should, we should be doing this in the Hindu squat position. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> but like even to the degree you're like, okay, uh, you're... <laughs> I'm appreciating the squat, so I'm going to do the same thing. Do you know what's funny? I actually, like halfway through most interviews, I do end up doing this. Oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. And I wonder if this will change the dynamic of the conversation <laughs> <laughs> maybe more strain on her voice would be like yeah so um i really like exercise <laughs> <laughs> but even uh to the degree of like you know your hamstrings shortening and stuff to adapt mm. to like sitting in like chairs and yeah your body just becomes really good at what you ask of it mm -hmm. on a regular basis so to your point like move regularly because then your body will become good at moving yeah yeah regularly yeah okay i'll hit you with another one uh and it is it's connected to what we've already talked about so i have shifted up my approach to exercise and i try to have more just like movement rather than workouts mm -hmm. so like Instead of doing, say, like a one hour session in the morning, just as an example, like for the sake of having a unit to compare things to, I try to have like four 15 minutes throughout the day. And I find especially like in the kind of more wintry months that we're experiencing that that has a huge impact on my energy levels to the point where, you know, I kind of have blocks of my day. Like the first kind of work block is like a two hour writing slot. And if I'm out for a walk before that with my daughter and then I go out for like, a, I'm talking like a 15 minute walk after that writing session. And then I do, uh, well, I do like a resistance workout in the morning, like literally like five minutes, like some push-ups and pull-ups and maybe a few squats, a few like kettlebell swings depending on the day. And I always, now I'm trying to get like a run in preferably, like literally a 15 to 20 minute run around like three o'clock, four o'clock. And if I can't get a run in, then at least like a brisk walk. And again, the impact that has on the rest of my day is colossal. The other, you used the word stacked earlier. The other reason why I'm trying to do this is, is because I'm trying to exercise when the sun's out mm -hmm. or at least when the light is out. And to have that kind of extra sunlight exposure and just being outside at the, you know, the midpoint of your work day, I've just found it is really, really beneficial. The last thing I'll say kind of on the exercise front is outsourcing your willpower to community. We talked about this yeah. on Monday. Uh, but as much as possible now, I, when I meet up with people, try to incorporate a form of exercise. So even if it is literally just a walk, or if it's with someone like yourself, let's go for a, you know, a short 20 minute run and mm -hmm. jump in the sea. Like, cause you could, and actually, you know, yesterday, like I was the first time I was at a kind of like a, a basketball game with a previous podcast guest, Tony McGarren. And he set up kind of this little social kind of game, like every Tuesday for uh, like pr professionals who work in the city. Cool. And so it's literally like, and he made the point yesterday and it's perfect. Like we could all meet once a week and have a pint or we could do this hmm. and like what makes us feel better. Like there's nothing wrong with having a pint with your mates, but maybe you want to save that for like 
eight o'clock at night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and use kind of like the, the exercise as a way to give you more energy, make you feel more alert. You know, I, I, for me, like a 20 minute run is like an antidepressant, mm. you know, literally like I could be starting to feel myself get a little low or a little foggy and I come back from my run and I feel amazing. Or even just simple things like in the middle of a writing session, if I start to kind of fall off a bit, literally just like if you do 10 squats and 10 push-ups yeah. and you sit back and you breathe a little bit, you feel the drugs flying through your body. You know what I mean? Like you literally feel like the dopamine hitting you. You feel that feel good sort of feeling. You feel any time that you raise your heart rate, I always feel better after it to the point where like sometimes, you know, I'll be out for a walk in the morning with L. And um, there'll be a hill and I'll be like, right, let's just run up this. Because yeah. at the top, you feel great. And I think that the meditative practice has helped me be more aware of those physical sensations. Because mm. before I'd just be like, oh, flip me, that puffed me out, didn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was kind of like, I feel tired after this. But that extra level of awareness, we were like, whoa, like I feel like a hit of some of these chemicals, like literally hitting my body right now. Mm. Um and I, I've just found that really beneficial. And on the, the meditation thing, one of the things that I had kind of canned to say today, uh, I now have like a little practice where if it's like after nine o'clock, so whenever like mm, my daughter's sleeping, if I come home, I park in the driveway and I just do a 10 minute of meditation. And that's it. Mm. It's just automatic. It just happens. And that's it. And it means whenever I, again, I go into the house, I feel... Like I've, I've done a little bit of housekeeping so that I can show up with Jackie, my wife, and I can be more present and just, I don't know, more of myself, I suppose. Again, like you just don't even know what the knock-on effect of that is. You yeah. know, like, you know, the reaction, the interaction back and forwards and back to this thing where everything you do matters. Like you take those 10 minutes and what's the impact? of that over a year you know like how different would your life be having done that or not having done that mm -hmm. and going in every day and it's huge and not even necessarily having to frame it like okay i'm gonna have to do this every day for a year now because yeah, 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 yeah 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 but back to what you said like a day at a time and don't yeah. beat yourself up if you miss a day and like we had a really interesting conversation on monday about like enjoying the activity of things yeah like not even thinking about, oh, I'm doing this meditation practice because it's going to make me a better husband over 50 years. Yeah. But just being like, I enjoy doing these 10 minutes. <laughs> like these 10 minutes are a means to themselves as mm. opposed to a means to an end or going for a run. Like it's far more enjoyable if you enjoy the run itself <laughs> rather than having to force yourself out every single time. And it's again, I think it's, you've you really hit on something with this kind of like, reflective meditative sort of posture like if in the middle of the run you're not listening to music you're not distracting yourself and you allow yourself even just to feel the physical sensation of running even the pain even mm -hmm. the heart i think there's a lot of enjoyment in there there's a lot of things to be had because it's why we like cold water it's the feeling that you have in the moment and yeah you feel good afterwards but there's something special that happens right there in the present too you know yeah really good to be with that and there's something also in there that like you don't always have to chase like i mean you could find joy in like eating a chocolate bar or a cake or whatever but there's also joy in like the run and there's also joy in the like being in the sea and mm. 
yeah, like the thing that you might think of as like a painful thing, if you're really present with it and you're really with all the sensations and you develop your awareness to feel the chemical responses, like you said, like the dopamine hit and stuff of um, the the time spent out in nature, you know, you it just makes it a whole lot easier. Like you don't, mm. it doesn't require willpower anymore. It's like, I'm going to do this thing for an ulterior motive because, you know, I'm going to feel better afterwards. You can just enjoy the thing itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about supplements. This is a can of worms, but let's go there anyway. <laughs> the big obvious one that I feel <clears> like is <throat> pretty safe to go into on this podcast specifically is vitamin d mm. you know it's like that time of year where yes absolutely like get the time outside and as much sunlight as you can but gotta face the reality like ireland winter time <laughs> <laughs> not much sunlight and the quality of sunlight's like usually good cloud cover over the top of it so um while that's still absolutely worthwhile um you know supplementing vitamin d with an actual like tablet is uh is well worthwhile and i think there are some pretty good studies to show like how that affects yeah really effective disorder really good studies like an actual even actually just on the immune level mm. like they like if you look into it like one of the best protections you can give yourself against coronavirus is vitamin d which mm. is so interesting and i kind of like I like how you say, like, you know, you still get outside. I view my vitamin D supplementation as this is my, like, insurance policy. Yeah. You know, this is just in case in my three hours of being outside today or two hours or one hour or whatever, if I if I don't get my vitamin D from that, at least I know that I'll have a helping hand to kind of get me over the line mm-hmm. uh, if the line even exists. And it's it's the same as the, the light therapy and the light exposure. You know, ideally, I try to get that from natural sources, but there are there are mornings where even if it is like eight thirty, I'm out and it's definitely not bright. Yeah, you know, and I it, I it gives me a sense of uh, peace as well. Knowing it's like, well, it's still good for me to be out here, and I know I've already got my like light, my big light from somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, like you could even look at you know using the lamp like the lamp is a supplement you know <laughs> it is yeah it's not just like a tablet. I, well, they actually call it the brand that i use they call it vitamin l <laughs> ah, <okay. laughs> which i thought was very smart yeah 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 so yeah i mean you can look at all these things as like supplementing you know yeah. in, in a sense i think whenever uh, you talk about supplements people do have an idea of like oh this little process thing or whatever that you're yeah, popping yeah, into yeah. your body and there's maybe a negative connotation to it even sometimes but um yeah if you take a step back and just look at it for what it is and there's nothing necessarily and even almost comes full circle to like the social media thing and we're talking about like the good and bad of all this stuff um very few things in life are either categorically good or bad it's yeah, like how yeah, you yeah. use it and yeah. so like the vitamin d tablet or the the light you know like great supplementation whereas you know there's other forms of supplementation that like probably aren't optimal and yeah um the only other one that i feel like really comfortable like going into and like standing confidently over is and this is actually it's based on the conversation with steve ellardy that we did last year on the depression cure uh vitamin d and omega-3 like i think fish oil and again i always look to things that have like a lot of history behind them yeah and like 
millions of people have been taking them for a very long time I, I i try to stay away from anything it's too cutting edge like i like to try and like uh see like a bit of a track record mm. and fish oil is primarily like it's a natural thing uh, it's also something that we don't get enough of in our diets even if you eat fish mm. unless you're getting like not grass-fed fish, but what is like like wild salmon, like literally from the wild, which is like it costs like twelve quid a fillet. Like if you're buying like just fish from other places, and if you're buying it frozen, like the chances are it's farm raised, you know, mm-hmm. on a fish farm, and they feed those fish grain. And if the fish is eaten like grain, then you're not going to get any omega three. Same thing actually with your beef. So back in the day, your great, great, great grandfather's sirloin steak would have been absolutely chocked full of of omega-3 because the cow eats the grass. The grass is where they get the omega-3 from. Whereas nowadays, you know, your sirloin steak's probably coming from, uh, unless you are intentional and go out of your way to find a grass-fed cow, it's going to be grain-fed and there's going to be very little omega-3 in it. And interestingly, exact same about your milk and your eggs and your butter. So we're all quite low in omega-3 and i think fish oil omega-3 tablets or you know taking spoonfuls off it is probably the best way to go by getting it uh if you do have the means and the the interest in spending a bit more money on the food that you actually consume i think it can go a long way as well but for most people again that supplementation of omega-3 is a really good safety net or insurance policy to kind of help get you over that line and really interesting stuff, like just on the the topic of depression, some really interesting studies that have kind of shown omega-3 to be as effective as Prozac, wow. which is a SSRI antidepressant drug. And your brain is like, I think when if you take all the water out of it, it's like 90% fat. Mm. And the reason why these fats are called essential is because like your body needs them and your body cannot make it itself so your only way of giving your brain what it needs in terms of omega-3 is by what you put into your body and so i think it's 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 interesting i think it's kind of like an emerging piece of science that's coming out of the depression community um but it seems to be that it can have a really big impact on your mood and your mental performance and your ability to perform even at work as well so yeah that's something that i would always be encouraging people to have a go at it's really interesting actually um I read a book called In Defense of Food, Michael Pollan, and Mm. that was one of the few things that he had mentioned in terms of like supplementation, if I remember correctly, because it was quite a while ago when I read it. Um, But that was something that he was positive on, and yet like the overarching theme of the book, um, relevant to what you said about like your ancestors, your great, great, whatever, (laughs) is like, um, try and only eat food that your great great grandparents would recognize as food <laughs> like if like the whatever bar like super processed like, yeah. protein bar or whatever like yeah. they would not probably recognize that like you eat that thing <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's the importance uh, of whole food isn't it yeah it's a big one yeah. and you know and even organic food where possible again this is like getting into the realms of like well then maybe it's like costs come into it and everything and um you know doing what you can is great like but uh the the quality of the the food i'm pretty sure it was the british soil association i saw this 
fact from it was somebody who like didn't have any um there's like no ulterior motive no benefit out of this like stating this but i think it was organic carrots had four times the nutrients than a regular carrot crazy it's so crazy like that you know you'd have to eat four regular carrots to get the same nutrition out of like one organic carrot my goodness so you know that's one type of vegetable but yeah you know it yeah. goes to show like that if you can't if you're sitting listening to this and you know you can't afford it like the mm-hmm. investment is so worthwhile and you could be saving money on like some fancy extra supplementation you know by just eating the organic food <laughs> that's it yeah and you know back to that Stephen Gundry guy like the gut microbiome dude he was really big one of his big kind of mantras throughout his work is that like we and he says we as in we in America but I think you know you can you can put most of the west into that category are overfed and undernourished Mm. and he made that point as well where actually unfortunately like a lot of the foods we're eating whether it's our meat or our dairy or our vegetables they contain like far less of the nutrients than they would have in our you know in our great great grandfather's sort of diet Mm. and yeah it's interesting like i even like sometimes i'm this is mainly things that i say to like give myself permission to spend money on food but like i I remember even like reading uh and doing like research on chaucer for like one of my english things and like medieval london like people would spend like i I don't know this is a a made-up number but they would spend like i don't know 40 percent of their wage their daily wage on their daily food Mm. do you know what i mean like they like they went to work literally to survive to pay for their food to pay for a cook to cook for them in the the hostel that they slept in that night Mm -hmm. and it's interesting like you know it on one hand it's amazing that the cost of food has really come down Mm -hmm. but on the other hand we are also paying a price for it you know like there's no such thing as a free lunch there's no such thing (laughs) as something for free and in our in the pendulum swinging to low-cost food the quality of that food has also suffered And I think like if you look at a lot of the other expenses we bring to our lives, whether it's going out for a pint or eating out, Mm. I I would, I've been challenged by this in my own life. You know, I've been reflecting and trying to think like, does it make sense for me to spend money going out to to grab a takeaway or to grab a, uh, like to go to a restaurant Mm. and buy like the cheapest worst form of carrots that mo- that money can buy or would it make more sense for me to maybe cancel the sky subscription or uh you know not go to a restaurant or not get a coffee every single day if it meant that i could buy higher quality stuff too and we've been really actually one of the biggest like s- sources of joy and i understand this is a very privileged hipster thing to say like i we love going to the farm shop now yeah. you know and we love as much as possible going to the butcher and we have been surprised like we started doing that through covid just because i guess like what else was there to do <laughs> and uh we got really into cooking and like exploring kind of local foods and stuff and it's been interesting to me that it hasn't been as expensive as i thought and there's certain ways to do it 
You know, if you go in and you get like sirloin steaks from your butcher, yeah, it's going to be really expensive. But if you go in and you're getting mints or you go in, you're buying whole chickens and you're like dividing it up yourself or you go to the farm shop and you only buy vegetables as opposed to like all the amazing local artisan, like (laughs) 10 pound jars of peanut butter made in dairy, you know, like all that sort of stuff. Like if you stick to the essential, it actually isn't that much more expensive than if you were going somewhere else. But again, that's, I guess that's a journey that, that everyone needs to go on. Yeah, and like probably good to also look at the other <clears> side of it. It's like the human body's like ridiculously resilient. Oh, <laughs> and like so much so, yeah. I think about how much of my life I just ate the biggest load of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, still here, aren't I? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, might have been very unhappy and all the rest of it, but something else we talked about the other day was like, maybe people like you and I need the organic stuff because like maybe we uh, didn't win the cortical lottery. Exactly. (laughs) We talked about like we're a bit predisposed to like needing these things because for whatever reason, maybe our brain's not set up in the same way as the happy-go-lucky person who can totally go and eat McDonald's and be like, I'm grand. And that's the thing. Like my wife would never listen to this podcast. Like she would have got 10 minutes in and be like, this is not for me. But the people who are still listening an hour and 20 minutes later yeah. like they're probably people who are like you know what like this is the sort of stuff that i perhaps need to think about because i realize that i maybe need to work harder in this area of my life than other people do mm-hmm. the same way that there are certain aspects of my life that i don't have to work as hard as say my wife you know mm-hmm. so different things come naturally to all of us and happiness and well-being is actually one of those things even on as you've said literally a a brain level we are born with just different dispositions and that's okay yeah 100 percent, and it does make for like a more rich experience the fact that you and i and say your wife is someone being totally different and that you know just because you might be born uh, less predisposed to being able just to like float about life and, in a really easy way that you know potentially that there's other positives to come out of the kind of um, whether it's like personality type or mind that maybe you and I have there's something you shared that was really interesting with me that we got into a little bit and when we were out the other day was uh, this idea that um coupled with this kind of uh, personality is a lot of creativity as well yeah 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 and um, i often think about it as a sensitivity mm. like this is not based on any research whatsoever this is just anecdotal my own bs like i would argue that people more prone to depression are more sensitive just to the world in general and the way my wife would describe it actually it's like you you're more able to feel the lows and you're more able to feel the highs. And that's just the trade-off of the gift that you've been given is you will feel, if you're in a, say, if you're in a bad mood or, I don't know, your dopamine levels are low or you don't have a lot of serotonin in your body, you'll feel that a lot more than maybe someone else would. Mm. And that can make you feel really, really awful. But then also if those things are really, really high, you could feel them and be on a level that other people couldn't. And I think it's it's that sensitivity to being like empathetic towards other people. It's a real gift, but it's also a curse because mm-hmm. you feel the pain of other people as well. And uh, so, sorry, I, I, I think the sensitivity bit is kind of interesting in that. That's fascinating. I love it. And, you know, it does take all types, but, you know, I'm really happy that 
in this life that I get to be one of those people who get to experience like a very wide mm. range of things. Like I feel like I look back on my life experiences and I'm in the like point zero 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 one percent of people who've got to like have these completely wild and wacky mm-hmm. like actual experiences but like the emotions and all as a result and yeah. Like some of the crazy shit, like being on the top of the mountain with Wim Hof and the shorts, or like sure, in yeah. the Amazon with shamans, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's so insane. And if not for the fact that you know I had like a harder time in life and might have suffered more, like none of that would have been the case. And mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a really beautiful thing. So if anyone's feeling like they're raging because they lost the cortical lottery, <laughs> <laughs> you might win life in other ways. That's it, and it's the. You know, like back to the the idea of the hero's journey, which I bring always try to bring it back to. Like the the initial step and probably the most important step of the hero's journey is the call to adventure. And I think like uh, depression is a call to adventure, mm-hmm. or I think that anxiety is a call to adventure. Like we've talked before, how people only change when it's too painful for them not to change. And in some ways, like the gift of that pain is that it forces you to go out on a journey. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, not everyone accepts the call, and a lot of people just, uh, they don't accept the call to adventure, and they just live with the pain. Mm-hmm. But usually pain is there for you to go out and figure out a way to overcome it or learn to endure it. And I think it's it's a combination of acceptance and unacceptance. It's kind of what leads you to that place of peace or that place of healing. And just back to what you said earlier about the jar, and you'll get into this. We could literally do another podcast once you read Awareness. He talks a lot about how, like, suffering is whenever you identify with things outside of yourself. Mm. And he, he describes the self as that jar. So that inside the jar is who you really are. You know, it's yeah. you. It's Scott. It is the voice that you know to be yours. And nothing in the world can touch that. You know, so you could get cancer and that would stay the same. Yeah. The cancer can't touch. For sake of argument, we'll call it your soul or your being. Okay. Yeah. Or like the label of like a Wim Hof instructor yeah. doesn't touch that or uh, from Bangor or from Dromore or Presbyterian or Irish. Like none of those things are actually really to do with who you really are. And his big thing is that like, when you when you take when you identify with say pain like let's say depression and you say like oh i am depressed like even that sentence in itself it just isn't true because mm. you're not like your body and brain is experiencing depression mm-hmm. but that is not you because the you is completely separate I call it like in your heart cave in the deepest part of who you are yeah. like and and nothing can really touch that and so he talks about kind of like going into your jar Mm. and looking out from it and being like really interesting look matthew's brain slash body is experiencing depression right now or like matthew's family circumstances there is there's like drama going on in his Mm. family circle that's not him that doesn't touch him and when you operate from that place he argues it's a really useful tool or useful way to uh, remove kind of the suffering from your life 
if you just look at it from that kind of arm's length way. It doesn't mean you don't deal with stuff. doesn't mean you push yeah. things under the, the, the rug. But you don't let yourself get wrapped up inside it because you know that it's separate. For me, it's like to do with the identification with the thing. It's so fascinating. Like I'm really looking forward to reading this book now because it's so these are ideas that I've come to through therapy and life experience. And, you know, I haven't read awareness yet. I was handed this book and that feels relevant. Sounds like the exact same ideas, but also whenever I was stumbling across ideas of like the self and who am I, one of the things that I got very clear on was the length of your story and you're not your story, which is the external stuff that the tags you identify mm. yourself with. So whenever you say I am depressed or I am depressed because this thing happened, the longer your story, the further from the truth that you are, because the only truth is I am mm -hmm. like, that's it. It's just, I am <laughs> crazy. Um, so I'd written this out and with the person I was doing therapeutic work with at the time, it was like, oh, right, there's a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's called I Am That. And it's like, geez, I can't remember the, the author's name. It's yeah, a long yeah, yeah. Indian name, basically. And yeah. it's uh, like an old guru, basically, who came to the same conclusion, really. Like, you, you are the I am and anything wow. further on to that is just... The longer the story, the further beyond I am, the further you are from the truth. Crazy. And ultimately, like one of the biggest things, which I don't know if this will come comes up in awareness, the book Awareness or not, is ultimately that even the I am is illusory. Mm. That if you stay with the I am, you, I mean, like the the self is all ultimately even an illusion yeah whether there's many ways to look at that but even and we talked a little bit about this um when we were out the other day from the point of view of like the forefront of modern physics that just looks at the universe as you know atom soup <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. like yeah it's, it's just all atoms and there's really no anything to, to differentiate yeah um or you know ancient uh, world religions like Hinduism and Advaita Vedanta that yeah. you know believe the one is the all and the all is the one or Atman yeah. is Brahman and Brahman is Atman if yeah, you yeah, really yeah. get into if you can be with the I am or the the true self eventually that is like the last thing to go mm. I think it's why you see like so there's two types of old people in the world right there's like and it's, it seems to be there's only two extremes there's like Awful, grumpy, cranky, miserable, torturous old people. Yeah. And then there's like peaceful, life-giving, encouraging, floating on the cloud kind of old people. I'm talking like 80s and upwards. Oh, yeah. And I just think like the mechanic behind that, I think is like, it's the classic, like you're either getting 1% better every day or 1% worse. And over the course of 80 years, that's where you end up. Yeah. But for like the amazing old people that I know, they are. They live so much in the I am, mm. and it's like the wisdom of age. Like they're not their job because they don't work. They're not their like athletic prowess because they're not physically strong anymore in comparison to any twenty year old. Yeah. You know, they are not like all this status. They are not all this achievement. They are not this or that or the other thing. They just are who they are. And you've just explained to me why I feel so comfortable with those individuals that I have in my head right now because there, there's just 
you just be with them. Mm. You don't need to show off. You don't need to impress anybody. You're literally just existing with them. And I think like it's so easy when you're young, as you said earlier, to identify with your business or to identify even with your family or uh, and I think as you go forward in life, if you are kind of moving forward in a positive way, you do just get to that point of like, I am, and that's enough. And it's really interesting, like, you know, you, you talk about ancient religions and how like so much of this sort of stuff has been worked out over thousands of years by, like, I used the term primitive people mm. in a very, like, I know it's it's not the right way to say it because clearly they were far more infinitely wise than we were. <laughs> yeah. But if you look at the story of even in the Old Testament of Moses and the burning bush, are you familiar with the story? Very loosely. Like, so literally Moses goes up to the burning bush and like asks the burning bush, who are you? Like asks God, who are you? Do you know what he says? Go on. He says, I am. Jeez. <laughs> Did you know that? No. Bro, like uh, this is what I'm saying. This is crazy. Like literally like, he says, I am. And in Mo- I think Moses might maybe say something like, what do you mean? And he goes, I am who I am. And like, literally, that's, that's, what, that's what's going on there. So like, for me, this is ultimately like the, the end point of my book is a feeling like my life is a, a continual walk towards an embodied understanding that all things are one thing, that there is only that I am there is really only awareness Mm. and every other thing like we touched on is so you could put frame this as the only a hundred percent truth the only holy true thing is I am Mm -hmm. that there's just awareness Mm -hmm. that everything happens in and that the first falsehood is a separate self mm. but it's still as close as you can get to oneness yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, then yeah. everything that you tag on to the single to the self just takes you further and further and further away from whether you want to call it god or truth or sure. wholeness and you know, like i mentioned about the book you know i have not fully embodied that knowledge by a long yeah, shot yeah yeah and actually even something we kind of touched on without getting into this level of detail was I don't even know if it's possible in a human form to fully embody the knowledge of I am. Mm -hmm. But if anyone's ever done it, you know, it's probably like figures like the Buddha or Jesus Mm -hmm. or, you know, there, there may have been some people and maybe they, maybe some of those figures like just got really, really, really close to fully embodying this knowledge that the self kind of is illusory. And like it's to put this into words is almost like it, it's trying to use noises out of my feeding tube to <laughs> like <laughs> explain God. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's so yeah. redundant almost to yeah. try and even talk about some of these ideas to the point where like most people will listen and it won't mean anything sure and that's you know trying to put this into words like that's that's something that i'm i'm excited about and i'm um to share just my one person's perspective on Mm -hmm, it and mm -hmm. because other people having done that you know it's you know like the book awareness you know how many people has that impacted yeah and I'm excited to, yeah. to share my own perspective on it too. It's cool. And I, I mean, I like to try and take like a little bit of everything and make like a recipe from it and cook it up. And then that's kind of that's my life, I suppose. But like, 
some of the very practical things we talked about today, like vitamin D, exercise, good sleep, exposure to bright light, particularly in the morning, like cold water therapy. Like those are all things in my mind that like help set a good environment and a good condition in your body and your brain. It basically gives you like the best shot at having a good time yeah. <laughs> or at like feeling healthy enough to pursue other things. Actually, flip me, it should have, should have just, the whole, this whole podcast could be condensed into this. There's a Jim Carrey quote, and I'll butcher it and I'll paraphrase it here, but he says something just like, you know, I do believe like depression is a thing. I do believe like that people are born with different brains. Mm-hmm. But if you're like hanging around terrible people, if you're not getting good sleep, if you're not giving your body what it needs in terms of healthy food, you're not moving, you're not exercising, you're not taking care of yourself, you're not being around positive people, then you're not even giving yourself a fighting chance. Mm. And I think like so much of the physical components are just to give you a fighting chance. And the fighting chance may be just to get through this season of life or the fighting chance may be, okay, now I can go off and pursue my enlightened journey or now I can go off and write my book or now I can go off and do my PhD. Mm. Like it's not that you, you can ever or should ever try to eliminate suffering from your life. But you can at least like level the playing field a little bit. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I, for me, like the physical things that you've spent the last few years really in- emphasizing and underscoring, I think are excellent building blocks to then build the rest of your life upon, you know? You're 100% right. Like, I would not be writing this book now if not for the foundation of going outside and moving every day and getting in yeah. the cold water regularly and doing my best with nutrition. And, you know, you're right. Like, it creates, like, fertile soil for yeah, yeah. the something deeper to grow out of. But it's like being in debt. Mm. You know, like, if you're in debt, your financial goal should be to get out of debt. Mm-hmm. Like and before you can start thinking about I'm gonna give millions to charity I'm I'm gonna you know make sure everyone in my family has somewhere to live you have to do the first step or you know if you were overweight and had diabetes like really your first goal is like right I need to lose weight and I need to reverse type two diabetes in my life mm. and then like once you're on that place then I think you have so much more to give. And it's not to say you don't have something to give when you're experiencing suffering or you are in a season of depression. But I think like if all, like the greatest gift, this is, I'll just speak about me now. Like there's a Mother Teresa quote that I love. And she says, um, if you want world peace, go home and love your family. Mm. And for me, Reflect, like, I really reflected on a lot of this stuff when I was becoming a dad and also whenever I got married like two, two kind of big moments where you really I spent a lot of time reflecting and the conclusion I came to was the greatest gift I can give to my family is a healthy me and any effort in trying to strengthen my mental health build resilience in my personal body build fortitude of character as like Marcus Aurelius would say <laughs> like those are gifts that keep on giving and will keep on giving till the day I die for my daughter for my wife for my friends for the people around me and I think like that's why this is important and actually back to Moses I love the image of Moses walking through the Red Sea because if you think about like Moses as like a, a hero's journey or as a story like it's all about this one 
Israelite slave who like ended up being used to save a whole nation. Mm-hmm. And like Moses' journey was unbelievably difficult. Like I, th- I don't think people give Moses enough credit because he's just a character. <laughs> yeah. But if you really, like there's an amazing movie everyone should watch called The Prince of Egypt. Mm. And it's like a cartoon kids movie about the Exodus story. Oh, cool. Mate, it is amazing. Like Mariah Carey's in it. Like it is so amazing, right? But it really shows the human side of Moses and like the unbelievable struggle and suffering that Moses himself went through. And just that beautiful image of like the, the kind of the the peak or the pinnacle moment in Moses' story is him walking through the Red Sea. And if in some ways, that's what it was all about. Like it was building up to this moment where Moses the slave, the suffering slave got to this moment and he lifts the staff up and the water parts and he starts walking through. And then there was just, there's just this beautiful like picture of then like because of Moses' suffering and struggle, like thousands of people were able to follow behind him mm. and not to get like too lofty or too like up ourselves about this sort of stuff but like in this winter season a lot of people will have a hard time and an amazing gift you can give to society is a healthy version of yourself and by you figuring out how to have a really great time in the next season it gives space for other people to follow behind you whether it's your roommates or your family members or your kids or your colleagues, like by you kind of leading the way in that wholeness and wellness, uh, as you've kept saying throughout this this chat, I don't think you can underestimate or overestimate the ripple effect or the knock-on effect that that could have on just like our own little worlds as a whole. Yeah, I love that. It's like be the change you want to see in the world. Come on, Gandhi. <laughs> Let's go, baby. <laughs> it's so true, though. I mean, you know, for if not for other people who'd gone out and done amazing things before me so like let's even take Wim Hof as an example like sure. he was just getting himself into freezing yeah, a crazy Dutch dude that liked to swim in the river yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. if not for him just going out and doing it for himself yeah um, you know I wouldn't have necessarily been like switched on to the cold water stuff and then have set up the Dash and Splash group and who you know uh, I don't know there's a couple of thousand people in the the facebook group for it now and you know not even just that as well but people who'd come to dash and splash going and setting up their own swimming groups and like different parts around the coast and that inviting people in and you know it all starts with you know one person doing Mm -hmm. something good for (laughs) themselves yeah that's it you know it's and that's like the power of like the archaic image of the keeper of the flame Mm. you know the one who keeps the flame alive for the tribe so that they can cook and stay warm. That's not a scarce resource. Like you can spark somebody else's flame and they can take it off to their tribe and you haven't lost anything. Mm. It like, it multiplies, you know, like again, it's a wee bit wishy-washy, but like I remember talking to um, a dad like five years ago before I was even married. And um, I was saying to him like, you know, I don't understand how can you love your firstborn child so much and then a second child comes along and you can even come close to how much you love them Mm. and he said to me it's like you know that's such a scarcity mindset you're thinking that you've a finite amount of love and he says but the thing about love is it it always multiplies Mm. it's never adding and subtracting it's like love is a multiplier 
force. And I think like so much of this stuff, like it does, it just multiplies out, you know, that's cool. Yeah, there's something really in that, again, to one of, this is like where words are almost becoming meaningless. <laughs> but, um, you know, I feel like that, that I amness and awareness, uh, like it ultimately just is love. Like yeah. one of the um, best definitions I've ever heard of love is time, space, and attention. Mm. And I thought it was really cool because especially if, um, you know, you're talking about self-love and like, oh, how do I love myself? I'm so imperfect, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. give myself time, space, and attention, mm -hmm. whether that's in stillness or... Going to the sauna. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, like cooking something for myself or... Um, but yeah, it really comes back to like if if the root of all things ultimately is love it is, it is an infinite thing mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think that's a a really beautiful but very abstract message to share <laughs> i'm gonna be honest bro i came here for like uh like a buzzfeed like top 10 things to do during the winter and i've come out with like this beautiful complex messy uh very real conversation between two very imperfect people yeah. uh so before before i say thank you uh, the last wee thing in my head, just based on your last point, and this is something from Kevin Young, a previous guest that we had. Um, his big thing was it's not about perfection. It's always just about better. Mm -hmm. So he, his big thing, I think, off the top of my head, was like be kind and make better choices. And that's he, he says that's something you should say to yourself. So again, it's not about like having the perfect diet or the perfect regime or the per. Every single day, it's just about like making better choices rather than perfect choices. And that's really helped me because, you know, again, even just back to the running, which makes a big impact in my life. It's like instead of like, oh, crap, like, you know, I don't have time to do my my two hour session today. Yeah. It's like, OK, well, the, the perfect choice is gone. What's what's the better choice? Yeah, I'll go out for a 15 minute run here. No problem. Mm. And it's that like like lowering of expectation as well and like i said at the start of the podcast holding things a little more loosely mm -hmm. and being a little more flexible because i can be really rigid with my like routine and sometimes there'll be days i intentionally break routine or reorder things just to promote that bit of like resilience and flexibility because uh, i think like when you hold on to things too tightly you lose it but if you hold if you have a looser grasp on things for some reason it's it's just easier carried um, but tell us about your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Scott has just recently launched his own podcast, uh, Causeway Living Podcast. You are to date three episodes in by the time this comes out, perhaps four, perhaps five. Mm. And uh, tell us a little bit about what we can expect from that and why you're doing it. <laughs> well, if you enjoy esoteric <laughs> ramblings. <laughs> <laughs> if you're still listening to this conversation, you're probably going to love his podcast. That's exactly it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the best sell I could probably give it. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I sort of described this journey over the last like year or so of writing the book and without getting too in-depth into that, I realized that having explored the nature of the self, uh, it was also important to express that outwards as well. And while I was doing that with the book, I didn't have any real immediate outlet for it. And 
I was sharing a lot of what I feel were really interesting things with uh, the therapist that I was working with at the time, Sue Galvin, amazing woman. And really like between us, it's, it so naturally came up because I've been intending to do a podcast for years. Um, it felt like, you know what, I could really just be taking the things that I'm expressing to Sue and putting it out there. And this becomes this like, uh, avenue of self-expression and if nothing else it's just like my own therapy as well <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I feel like there I'm exploring things of real value for myself that like I kind of wish that I had maybe heard someone be willing to share about so mm-hmm. openly and imperfectly and that's something I really strive for in every episode like it's one take wonder and you know hit record and end record and put it out there done better than perfect and really just an exploration into my ongoing journey and understanding of the self which in the future may be open to change because I really do want it to be this like collaborative process you know I ask people at the end of every episode like send feedback through the form of the website and if there's any specifics that people would like me to get into um in the first two episodes of the podcast it's a bit of like a background story so um maybe somewhat similar to like the first time I was on this podcast and um, explain how I became chronically ill in my early 20s and got my health back through juice fasting and flew to Peru, worked the plant medicines, did the Wim Hof stuff. and uh, But I touch on all those things very lightly. So there's like an almost endless well of episodes and like diving into the Wim Hof method specifically yeah, yeah, or yeah. Yeah. diving into the plant medicine treatments of Peru. And um, yeah, so if anyone like checks out the podcast and really... If even if there's anything from today, like I want to hear you talk more about that thing, then I'm happy to imperfectly <laughs> express, you know, my view on it. And uh, I, my aim is at the end of every episode to invite the listener to explore the thing that I've been exploring as well. So uh, episode three there was about moments in my life where I'm operating from a place of fear or operating from a place of faith. And realizing over the last seven years how much more my life is based or my actions are based out of faith rather than fear, but in really, really subtle ways that there are moments where I am like operating from a place that there's like an underlying core value of, or core belief that uh, that like the world is dangerous, say. Mm-hmm. And even in the most like benign, small things that you would never realize, I mentioned in that episode three that Sue, the therapist that I'd mentioned, she was going on holiday the next week. And my go-to thing was like, okay, take care, travel safe. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like the, like seems really like benign and and nothing, but like the underlying implication there is like the world's dangerous. I don't trust you to be safe in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so my exploration then is like, okay, well, what if, you know, whenever I've now expanded my awareness to realize like, oh, there's fear in there. Um, what if I next time pay attention to that, but then choose faith over fear and then say like, have an awesome time. Mm. How much nicer does that feel than like, yeah, take yeah, care, yeah, trouble yeah, safe. Yeah, yeah. 
and that's my ongoing practice so again anyone listen to this like now that's the invitation like where in your life just like stay open to expanding your awareness so, like where are the things that i'm saying and doing coming from yeah and you know then experiment with it so i'm not even necessarily saying that like it's always the best thing to go with faith like mm -hmm. that feels right for me but try it out in your own life like if you're operating from a place of fear what would the the option be to come from a place of faith instead and then see how that either positively or negatively affects your life circumstances and if it's good keep at it <laughs> awesome bro well look i in for a penny out for a pound thoroughly enjoyed this and uh, i appreciate you giving this time so generously to us and for sharing everything you did oh matt for you making this space and the conversation happen and being the first three times ah! <laughs> <Yeah, no. laughs> i appreciate that as well awesome bro